As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. And welcome to the game. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and I have a humdinger of a show for you. We're going to have extensive and detailed analysis of Fulham versus Snoke, and Rory K. Smith is going to go all Euro snob at us, while Ollie K. will sound like Darth Vader. No? No? Okay, all right, that's been scrapped. Instead, we're going to be looking at the League Cup final and Manchester City versus Chelsea. To do this, I have a very fine team assembled. With me in the studio is Rory K. Smith, and I'm delighted Danny Finkelstein is with us as well. And also, of course, from his conservatory up in lovely Rippenden, it's Ollie K. Later on, we'll be discussing this insane and unpleasant protectionism, which serves no purpose whatsoever, but that's just my objective analysis. Uh, but first, we're going to start with some aspiring minnows. We're going to start at Wembley because, um, Ollie, I imagine, well, maybe you're not at all like me, but during the season, I find myself extremely cynical about the League Cup. And I say, you know what? This is stupid. Another crappy sponsor year after year. Nobody's going to remember. I mean, I guess this year is Wachovia, right? But, I mean, who would know? Um, a bunch of, uh, of an artificial competition that was created simply because in the 1960s, a bunch of clubs decided to install floodlights and they said, hey, let's make money by making our, our, our poor footballers go and play at night, too. And this was back in the day of the, minute of the maximum wage, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it just all feels so so weird, so irrelevant. And then you have a cup final and it's, it's still in February. But then... On, on Sunday, I thought, this is kind of cool. Bradford and Swansea, really excited to be there. Swansea played fantastic. And it did warm my heart just a tiny, tiny smidge. Although I suspect that had that been Chelsea or Liverpool in the final, your heart wouldn't have been quite as warmed. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, it's. Um, I remember after the semi-finals or even before the semi-finals, people were suggesting that this was going to be a disaster for the sponsors, disaster for for the League Cup because you're going to get Bradford and Swansea in the um, in the final. I remember even some journalists suggesting that Chelsea Manchester City would be the better game that day, and I, I couldn't disagree with that more. I, I thought it was a great occasion. I think it was all, always going to be a great occasion. And okay, the game was a bit one-sided, but it was. Um, it was, as you say, heartwarming, and um, I personally, I love all that. I, I love the fact that there's, um, you know, there are whatever it was, thirty five, forty thousand fans there from each team, and and able to see their team playing at Wembley, which was would have been beyond their wildest, wildest dreams, um, sort of six, seven years ago when they were playing each other in League One, League Two. Danny, is there any? Okay, so we get this, and it's good, and we're excited by it. I'm, I'm assuming that if we get two teams like this year after year. 
uh, in the long run, people wouldn't be quite as excited by it. But do, do we need a, a League Cup in this country when, in terms of fixture congestion and all this stuff? Or, well, first, or does this make it all worth it? The first thing we do, we don't need to worry about this happening every year. It's a one in a 1,000 year event for Bradford City to get to the final. Now, admittedly, it's true that large numbers of teams have one in a 1,000 chance of getting uh, to the final. So if you have lots of cups and lots of years, it'll happen from time to time, but it will not happen every year. The great thing about knockout competitions is the probabilities for all the teams are pretty low, so you just don't know who's going to win. And I think it's better to level in the Premier League, even though uh, there's probably more luck in the Premier League than people uh, realise, but I think it's better to level in the Premier League with some knockout competitions like this, and I enjoy it for that reason. Roy, you're, you're, are you feeling you're not mood enough? No, no, I, I, I think it's obviously, yeah, it's, it, you'd have to be a horrible cynic to sort of sat there thinking, oh, I wish this was Chelsea Man United. But I think what what it maybe showed is that underdogs of the scale of Bradford have a a sell by date, and I think it's probably better for them to go out in the semi finals than in the final because it was they needed a team yesterday, Bradford, to, to make that an, in any way a competitive game. They needed a team who'd turn up and think, "No, nah, this is going to be easy." And Swansea, because it was so important to them as well, were never going to think that. So Swansea, you could tell from the first minute, as Ollie said in his match report, that they kept the ball for sixty four seconds. Swansea w- were on it. They needed someone who who didn't care. But in terms of teams like Swansea getting there, I think that's fantastic. I think, yeah, if, if that had been, say, a Swansea Villa final or just two teams who aren't always at Wembley, aren't always going for trophies, I think the, I think the League Cup is a great competition. Gab, has, Gab is sort of scowling, making a kind of... Like he's you just know, tasted some bad milk. I, um, please, listeners, pay, pay no regard to, to, to when this man behaves like this. Uh, Ollie, I, I want to check this to you because I, I heard you know, Sir Bradford folks saying that... Um, well, this is you know this is a, a, a big cash boost for us. This is going to be important for us, and and I go back to to one of my favorite themes. I mean, I remember when Bradford were in the Premier League, and I'm I'm certainly older than Rory, but I am not that old because um, it really wasn't that long ago. I, I, I would imagine Rory remembers as well. I would imagine. Um, yeah. I mean, R- Rory's Rory's not a ten-year-old. Okay, no, yeah. but but you know, he's younger <laughs> than you and me, so you know, and I presume younger than you, Danny. Yes. Um, but anyway, but maybe not younger because our our fabulous listenership is uh, uh, you know skews young because we have a very desirable demographic, as you all know. Um, but but what I wanted to drive at was Bradford. Uh, they're in League Two. But, but this, this is this is a club that you know, based on attendances, based on history, shouldn't be there. Um, now they're getting a whole load of money in. Do we have any guarantees that they're going to spend it responsibly or and, and use it to alleviate the club debts, or or is this just going to be the same thing again? Just a bunch of people rolling the dice, living the dream, as people in that part of the world seem to do, and um, <laughs> and basically like like kind of taking the Mickey out of supporters once again. Well, I don't, I don't think they'll be doing the equivalent of buying Benito Carboni and Dan Petrescu and Stan Collymore. Um, and I, I mean, to be honest, the, the, I, I think there will be certainly a, a, a temptation to sort of spend their way out of whichever division they happen to be in next season. Obviously, um, you know, they're still hoping to get in league, uh, to, to get promotion to League Two, uh, sorry, to, to League One. Obviously, if they get that promotion, they'll probably hope to spend some of that money in a way that gets them uh, into the championship the following season. Um, but it's not like, I mean, if they are in League One next next season, I mean, they could be up against Wolves and clubs like that. I mean, it's, um, it's, but what it's I'm not, it's so not really the case that, that you could just go in with with whatever 
relatively small amount of money they'll have um, raised from this um, cup run and, and, and simply spend their way out of it. It, it doesn't really work like that. And I, I think rather than it being money that's um, going to propel them onto a next stage, I think it's, it's money that has stabilised them um, completely. Um, having been a club which, I mean, as, as has been very well documented, the only player um, in that um, team that which cost any money was uh, was Hansen, the striker, who cost £7,500 plus uh, a pre-season friendly against Geisley Town, which is, um, you know, that, that gives some indication of the budget they've had until now. Obviously now it will be a bigger budget, but I don't think they'll be going crazy with it. Danny, Danny this is my thing, man. This is what I was trying to drive at, right, is... They look at it in terms of all right. So let's we you know, or, or the way Ollie answered it was let's invest money so that we can move up a division and make more money and stabilize and, and and whatever else. That's fair enough. I can see the logic in it, but it seems to me that that's always the case with these lower with these league clubs. Is and, and I guess sporting wise, it's a good thing. But it's always about let's give more money, let's spend more on guys, let's give higher wages to our players so that we can compete and move up. And I sometimes wonder from the supporters' perspective, obviously you want to see a winning team out there, but is that really necessary? Because if you look at the attendances, and I'm sure I'll mention this figure again, but if you look at attendances in the lower divisions, they're as high as they have been in 40 years. And yet you need these really hard, you know, really stiff rules with with embargoes and whatever else by the Football League. Um, you, every, so many clubs are complaining about you know the risk of administration and and how tough it is down there and how important this cup run. Is something wrong with this system that these people can't manage themselves within their means? Look, it's a matter of uh, taste. What distribution of results do you want? Uh, do you want to have a series of very stable results what one might call the Arsene Wenger theory you know keep the average stable never win any trophies but always stay in the Champions League places or do you want to uh, go for broke and sometimes um, win big trophies and sometimes get relegated it's uh, it's a question of taste and Swansea and Bradford have both uh, exercised their taste in a particular uh, way so um, you, you can't uh, you, you, what you can say is the amount of money that you spend is related very strongly to points, so strongly indeed that almost nothing else matters compared to that. Once you factor that in, it's very hard to establish any other correlation apart from money. So if you do spend the money, you run all those risks, but it's the way of gaining success. And simply speaking, it's a matter of taste. Would you prefer your team to be stable, or do you want it to um, to achieve certain short-term success with the danger that if you spend the money and don't quite make it, and randomness says you can't be certain, so you might not make it, then it, the consequences are disastrous. I'm not quite sure who you, who you mean by these people can't manage themselves. There's a lot of very well well run clubs in the football league. There's been a couple of quite quite famous examples of of teams more in the Championship going for the Premier League who who kind of get a bit carried away. Bradford, Portsmouth, Leeds, but the majority of clubs in the football league have, have, live within their means. They're well run. They're intelligently run. You, yeah, there's always a temptation to, to, to kind of go too far and spend too much but to try and accelerate the process that Danny's talking about but the majority of clubs down there 
are, are, are well run as they should be just football's a relatively simple business depends what you mean by well run do you regard it as well run that your team always remains in League One or do you regard it as well run that occasionally you get in the Champions League slots and then sometimes you go bust it's a matter of taste it isn't you know Arsene Wenger is precisely being told that he's not running the club well because he doesn't have enough fluctuation uh, and um, so we, we have to remember that uh, you can choose and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's well run to husband your resources in such a way to remain completely consistent. Well, let's move on to a club that most would agree are well-run who win their first ever trophy, um, Swansea. Is, is, is Swansea a model? Um, isn't an, an, an archetype? Um, or is it something that works at Swansea, might work for a certain size of club, but not might not work for a bigger or indeed a smaller club? Uh, I, I really think it is a model. It, it's, it's a, a model that everybody could could follow. Whether it's Bradford City wondering what to do with a with a new cash, or whether it's um, you know Premier League clubs. I mean, we've had Aston Villa sort of stripping everything back in the Premier League, getting rid of all their their big earners or marginalising their big earners, and and going with a very sort of youth driven approach. I, I think if, if clubs need to be need to look for inspiration about how to do this, I, I think they need to look at the Swan way and it's not always about youth it's um it's about building around a core of um experienced players or robust players or resilient players but building around the edges with um very good footballers and and with a, a manager a manager who generally um fits into what they're trying to do as a club and you know, people was you know obviously Michael Ladrup has, has had enormous praise for um, for this like Brendan Rodgers got enormous praise for what they did last season but I, I think the, the, the secret of Swansea's success really is that managers come in managers come and go uh, even if you go back to Kenny Jackett what he did he built the foundations uh, Roberto Martinez developed something along that even Paulo Sousa who wasn't a great success came in and brought more solidity and I was speaking to Brendan Rodgers last season he, he was crediting the, his two predecessors with a lot of the um, a lot of the work that had made his work easier I think if Laudrup um, uh, moves on I think it will be a very easy to uh, easy club to manage I, I think it, it, it's a club which um, has a model which you know, people talk a lot about philosophy in modern football. What's the club's philosophy? Well, at Swansea, there genuinely is one. It's not just a buzzword. There genuinely is one, and you can see that, and it's brought them incredible success. Oh, Danny, I'm going to go a contrarian now for a second. I know it's a, it's a stretch for me, but I appreciate everything Ollie said, and I completely agree with it. But you talked about chance before. Swansea got to the top flight via the playoffs, which are a big roll of the dice. Had they missed that, they might still be in the championship and they might be just as good at, at doing everything they do, but we might not be as aware of them because they're not in the Premier League. Yes, there's such a thing called survivor bias, which means that uh, a certain proportion of people will um, come out successful in the end, even if they weren't any better than anybody else. And um, then we look at them and look at that they've been successful and assume that their formula must have been the reason for that success. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd uh, listen to Ollie all night on the subject because he, he certainly knows more than I do about their specific things that they've done. The question is uh, whether or not those things really were responsible for their success. Uh, and the only way that you can tell that is by looking at whole groups of clubs, all of which have done that and w- some of which have not done that, and assess whether or not uh, 
the pattern has been successful on average rather than in this one case. And I, I simply just don't know the answer as to whether that's true or not. I, I certainly would be very nervous about taking Michael Aldrop's success in the first part of this season or Swansea's success over the last couple of seasons and drawing conclusions about it too quickly. In terms okay. of the praise for Swansea, I think it's it, it's all entirely justified. But I, I've got to admit, I don't know if what they've done would necessarily work in a, in an exact mirror elsewhere. Just so you've got someone like Leon Britton could easily. I mean, Leon Britton did go. Remember, he went to Sheffield United, and it didn't work out. And that's there's an element of fortune that he then comes back. Other players would have stuck stuck around at Sheffield United that they might have gone gone elsewhere. It, there's all these little random factors. But what what Swansea have done is they've stuck to their guns, and I think that's that's admirable. Well, why you, okay, I wanted everybody to talk about Loudrup's future, um, but since we don't have time, let's just move on and talk about two big clubs, City and Chelsea, which, as Ollie said earlier, this was the game he was really looking forward to. Um, <laughs> oh, me. No, no, it was you, Ollie. I'm just going to start spreading false rumors about you, because that's I, I, what I we in the media do. Who I won't name. Well, I'll tell you what, Deb, if you want to talk about Loudrup's future, then City Chelsea's quite a natural segue, isn't it? Oh, nicely done. So let's talk about Loudrup's future, but of course, let's talk about Manchester City and Chelsea, who I would get guess, if you're looking at the top six clubs, or, or the, for lack of a better word, before people get angry at me, at the sort of traditional top, roughly speaking, top six in England right now, um, these two, along with Arsenal, are probably the ones who are most likely to uh, look for a new manager. And since Arsene Wenger says he won't resign and uh, Gazeta says they won't sack him, I'm assuming City and Chelsea might candidates for for old Michael or are we just kind of getting slightly carried away because this is a guy who really you know outside of Denmark hasn't had a job for, for a very long time at, at any one place and he is very handsome but you know they probably will finish the season in mid-season in, 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 in mid-table right? But it, what's really interesting about Michael Laudrup is, is it, it belies this British obsession with people's coats I'd, we, we seem to judge a manager on how, on how well they wear a coat and I don't understand when at what point in the 21st century how you can wear a coat became so important to the British I'm now really worried that I don't have enough nice coats So is your theory that Arsene Wenger's got into trouble because he can't zip up his current well, yeah, coat? And it, well he looks a bit like a kind of fat caterpillar doesn't he in that thing and I, I think that's not, that's not what people look for in managers in the 21st century we want a nice tailored jacket maybe with a, one of those cinch belts that'd be nice It's not true because you guys love Martin O'Neill and Tony Pulis and, and they don't wear they don't wear coats no, but they, they both wear suits they wear track suits but they are still suits I think that's important to remember you, you, you try getting away with that at a funeral it's uh, you know, never washed <laughs> the best thing about Tony Pulis you remember that story when he, he attacks James Beatty in the shower yes and Pulis was naked <laughs> why was Tony why does the manager need to take all of his clothes off and have a shower with the players it's just weird it's really weird I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the phenomenon of, of the manager showering does, do you think that improves like, the, the trust that the players have in the manager if he's, if he's naked get, more I'm only going to get in trouble if I pursue this line so Danny can mean perhaps you can bring um, some kind of, uh, um, of, of logic um, to this um City and Chelsea, this is this was sort of billed as like, you know, the battle where Chelsea could pull within one point, right? And maybe and and, and maybe sort of reopen uh, uh, the race for second place. Um, do, do these teams look like they belong in the same conversation? I mean, as bad as City have been, but on the day versus versus Chelsea? Well actually, um, 
City were City had a fifty-one percent chance of winning, uh, so it was twi- roughly twice the size of Chelsea's chance. They're, they're uh, Chelsea are about uh, I say about, but they're they're eighty-nine percent as good as City. Um, so they do belong in the same game, but City isn't clearly had huge, the advantage. Isn't that a huge gap? It's quite. So they're eighty-nine percent is huge. I'm guessing. Does that mean that it's City would get eleven more percent more or ten percent more points? Yeah, um, it's got to be. So so before this game, um, the, the the think tank model that that I'm uh, running. Um, has had City finishing about seven points ahead of Chelsea. So there is clearly a gap between the clubs, but your, your question wasn't, was there a gap? Because there clearly is. Um, it was, do the teams belong in the same conversation? Yes, uh, even though City are clearly uh, the better side. And obviously they were at home. So the, the result was not unexpected um, uh, it, because there was twice as much chance the City would win as that Chelsea would win. Actually, at times in the game, it was quite close because uh, if Chelsea had scored a penalty, I think that would have changed the dynamics of the game quite a lot. Uh, And um, it could easily have ended in a one-all draw, which was the most likely result, actually, uh, the most likely individual result. Chelsea looked poor. Chelsea looked as as, as bad as they have done any of the lows uh, of the past sort of five six years I mean they, they just don't look a good team um, and City don't look all that much better what do we say 11% but um, it, I mean I'll I'd, I'd be, I'd be interested to know uh, Danny with your, with your sort of think tank predictions where did you expect these teams to um, finish how did you expect them to do um, at the start of the season because to me it looks like they're both underperforming quite wildly well um City are underperforming, funnily enough. Um, Chelsea aren't uh, because we didn't have very high anticipation of them. They didn't do very well last season. Uh, so, and so if, if, is their underperformance last season what, what sort of justifies their underperformance this season? As it were? Yeah, because these things are long-term trends and clearly they have uh, a long-term trend. Um, the, the long-term trend is that they're not as good as uh, City and United. No, the surprising thing about City is that City are scoring fewer points than Manchester United despite being theoretically... Uh, in terms of long-term two-year models, better than Manchester United, so that if you if these two teams uh, were were on neutral territory and they're playing each other, you would have City as the favourites based on their goals and shots on goal over the last two years. So they are massively underperforming their uh, underlying class, and Manchester United, as they often have actually, are overperforming their underlying class. Manchester United have a record of kind of winning the Premier League without necessarily being the best side in the Premier League in that season. So. You know, one season when Chelsea were um, the best side, um, Manchester United still managed to win the Premier League. And this season, um, Manchester United are clearly going to win their Premier League. And now the probability of anybody else winning it is very small indeed. Uh, But again, that's not because they're the best side. And that's the real question mark over City. So I think Chelsea are not underperforming, um, but they're underperforming compared to the money, which is a different uh, question. They're underperforming compared to history, but they're not underperforming compared to the last couple of years. Um, Roy, I want to throw this to you because Mancini's been – everybody's like – I think a lot of people like to play sort of – you know, amateur boss or amateur psychologist or uh, time store psychologist, I should say. Mancini comes out and he criticizes his big players. He did it. He did it on Friday um, with with Nasri with Hart. He did it again with Hart. And 
we have this sort of sense that, oh, but, you know, Sir Alex would never do that. Wenger would never do that. You know, they never come out and criticize um, their top players. We know why Mancini does that. I think I've explained it enough times. He genuinely believes that if, you know, he's, he's his biblical perspective, the parable of the talents, you who have a lot of talent, like Mancini had, you have to give more, take on more responsibility, and I set the bar higher. He would probably also say privately that he only criticizes the guys who he thinks can take it. Um, does this? Do you think this kind of stuff, this kind of stuff, works? That you can get a reaction out of it? Yeah, I, th- I think every manager has their own path, don't they? And it's, this is obviously something that Mancini feels works for him. I, I don't know whether the fact that he does it fairly constantly, and as we've we, we've discussed it before, he does it occasionally. It seems that he's he's not doing it in a controlled fashion with third. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Listen, whenever there is public criticism, you get the impression that he's doing it for a reason, for a purpose, having thought it through. Mancini, I've been there a couple of times when he's, he's, he's lashing out to an extent. Yeah, but if you notice, he doesn't criticise Gareth Barry or James Milner. Well, no, but, but that's because it's hard to fault Barry and Milner when you know they're you, limited. No, 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 no. exactly. But, he, he, he doesn't, but the fact that they're not good players, I mean, then, in, a, well, in, in the grand scheme of okay, things. so let me advance the statistical theory of this. Um, why do you praise a player? Because they exceed expectations for that player. Why? Why do you criticise a player? Because they go below expectations for that player. There are two reasons for you exceeding or going below expectations. One is that you've genuinely uh, become worse, and the other is that it's random fluctuation. Mostly, it's random fluctuation. Which means, which means, which just let me say, which means that you criticise a player, and uh, it's quite likely that next week they'll play better because of something called regression to the mean, which is that basically on the whole the player will play on average. So you think you've your criticism has made a difference, but actually it's just because of the way you placed it, which was just at the moment where their performance had fallen below their long-term expectation, which is why you don't bother criticizing a player who's 
on at who plays consistently uh, but or, but isn't as good as the player that you're criticizing. Sorry, is there a third reason why your performance might decline? It might have to do with the fact that you're being lazy or your missus is giving you a hard time or, you're, or you have a drug problem there's or you're no evidence. There's no evidence of form in, uh, in statistics in any sport except for 10-pin bowling where there's a small correlation between, uh, two, between two skittles. So there is no evidence. Even, if, if you have a, why well, do we have managers or coaches then? Well, that's a, quite a good question. I'm not a big I'm – not, I'm not a big – but I think there are some managers and coaches who succeed Succeed very few uh, in shifting the dial. Uh, do I think they do that by criticising them in front of the sponsors hoarding after games? No. You can use regression to the mean to explain to completely dismiss the effects of managers, especially. Yeah, I'm not talking about the generic effect of managers yeah. over a very long term. I'm talking about. Managers give players very specific, and Holly, help me here, because in this case, you're more of a traditionalist here, I, I, would, I would hope, certainly more so than me. I, I, I well, would say basically say that it doesn't matter what the man. I mean, I, sometimes players play badly because they are lazy, right? Or because they don't follow the manager's instructions. It's a team game, right? If I, if I tell you all to press collectively and somebody doesn't do it, or if we play a high a line on the, on the offside and one guy's got his finger up his nose <laughs> and doesn't do it, um, then we we will concede goals. Is it not simple like that? All, all because confidence or spirit or, or whatever is low. I mean, I, I know these are intangibles, and I know that, that, that they're not something that could ever be quantified on a on a graph or on any kind of statistical model. But you ask any footballer, what, you know, what's the biggest factor in in, in their performance? I, I think it's it's mood. It's how you feel when you who, go onto the pitch. It's how you react to very slight setbacks or little um, surges of um, you know stimulus, as Andre Villas-Boas calls them. Um, um, on the pitch, it's it's about. I mean, I, I, I accept what Danny's saying, but but I, I think we can un- completely underestimate at times what what um, what effect some kind of psychological issue within the dressing room has, whether it's for better or worse. And um, I think the best managers use that psychology. Um, or use that psychological issue to their advantage. They they, they create stimuli which which improved performance and I think I think the worst managers can't handle it at all and, and, and are not good man managers they're not yeah. good managers of people I find this argument fascinating um, I wish we could continue but Skinner is hurrying us along um, so I do want to point out that uh, Rory you haven't weighed in on this you, you, you could make the, can you can you do you want the final word on this and maybe like on the back of what Ollie said reflect about why all those sort of hip internet companies which all went bust in the bubble like how they used to have sort of ping pong tables and um, and sofas, and they allowed you to go to work in flip flops to create that positive harmony. Which, yeah, the, well, the, the, the ones that survive still do. I think they still got bean bags and thought pods at Doodle, haven't they, and stuff like that. And I, th- yeah, I mean, I, I understand the argument Danny's making. I, I think there is something to be said in too much is made of short-term fluctuations in, in things like form. I've read the hot hand study. I know that know that that form theoretically does not exist either negative or positively. But I think it it, it is. As Ollie says, it's true of all workplaces that if you're in a good mood with your boss, with your 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 colleagues, you are likely to produce better. I know that since me and you fell out, Gab, my match reports have suffered. Do you know what I mean? It, I've noticed that myself. It's just it happens. Lazy. It happens. Well, I am terribly lazy. I'm hoping to regress to the mean of mediocrity soon enough. But yeah, I, I think there's 
regress. It wouldn't be regressing. No, I'd, advance. I'd be advancing to the yeah. median of mediocrity. Exactly. Yes, that's the point. Why well, can't you be more like Ollie? I guess is what I'm saying. Well, we can't all be Ollie. West we can't all have a conservatory in North Yorkshire. But North the Yorkshire, it's West Yorkshire. It's, we, we don't want you in West Yorkshire, Ollie. It's Ripon and it's the Moors. It's basically Lancashire, um, which is awful. <laughs> the uh, the one thing I would say I think that Man- in, to me Mancini and Benitez are similar in one way which is they are not their strength is not in man in man management that Rafa's weakness if it's if it brooks me to say as much is that I don't think I think he struggles to get players up for games that they think they might do well in I think that's where Rafa struggles Mancini's problem seems to be more as I say he is almost too emotional I think that sometimes his attempts at psychology. They may be they may be sort of statistically negligible in terms of their impact, but I think that at times it does create a bad work environment, and that, to me, my my sort of work, my layman's understanding has to be connected to why City look like they are less than the sum of their parts at the moment. All right, in our debate this week, the biggest game in world football will take place next Saturday at 3 p.m. It's Barcelona against Real Madrid. I, apparently, this, this Clásico won't be as important as other Clásicos because uh, um, Barcelona are running away with uh, La Liga. They have a 16-point lead. But still, the fact remains, this game is being played. And by virtue of living in this country, unless you go through the torturous legal means that I've gone through... Um, you can't watch this game. Sky, part of the reason we pay so much money to Sky for our, our subscriptions for Sky Sports is because they have to spend money to buy the rights to La Liga. But then they are not allowed to show this game, which kicks off at 3 p.m. Why? Because there's what they call a blackout rule, which was um, which basically says that on Saturdays during the football season between 2.45 and 5.15, you cannot show any football of any kind on television. Uh, the idea is to um, help preserve attendances at lower division clubs, by and large. Um, Danny, I'm going to start with you, since you know you don't just deal with sport, you deal with big things. Um, isn't this protectionism and kind of a needless subsidy, especially considering that lower league attendances are as high as they've been in 40 years? Well, it's just a demonstration of something you do get across the board in politics as well as football, which is that once you uh, establish a rule, it's extremely difficult to get rid of it, even if the rationale for getting rid of it has gone. And obviously there was an idea at one point that if we had all this live football on television, no one would go to the games, uh, which was a bit like suggesting that if a band appeared on Top of the Pops, fewer people would buy their record which was an eccentric uh, idea even at the time, but I think we can tell isn't true and we can watch that that isn't true over the last 20 years of football attendances. So it's just time to change this. Um, look, I, you know, I don't think it's the end of the world. I'm, as a football fan, I hardly noticed that it was the uh, case until you pointed out to, it to me earlier. I think it'll become more the case as people become more interested in uh, games like the, the Classico, which people probably weren't that bothered with watching five years ago but now do want to watch to be honest I, I, I don't have strong feelings about this I know it's going to make a very um, a very disappointing argument but you, you're going to have to persuade me that this is something worth getting truly het up about I, I think this is the first time um, you know this um, this particular match is the first time when perhaps I'll be um, sitting in front of a, you know, a, a television on on a Saturday afternoon thinking, God, I, I really, really wish that particular three o'clock kickoff was on because I, I, although there are often Premier League matches that 
that I would like to see. Um, I, 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 I do accept and, and agree with the general principle that we can't be televising every Premier League match. We, there should be, um, uh, you know, the, I, I don't know whether a blackout is the way to do it, but I, I, I don't generally think um, it, it's something worth getting heads up about but maybe that's because I'm I'm more often at the games and I'm, I'm yeah, perhaps and a little bit spoiled in that regard yeah Ollie is not the average Sky Sports viewer um, and neither are I think any of us but I Ollie made a point there Roy which was you know I don't know that if we need to televise every three o'clock Premier League game what gets me is no you may not need to do it the Premier League may choose that it's best not if they don't sell the rights to every game in fact they don't sell the rights to, to every game and they limit that what bugs me is that you have a law forbidding you from doing it, forbidding you if you buy the rights to another league, uh, the Bundesliga, for example, or, or whatever. You cannot show those games. That the government comes and says to you, "We need to do this." I think, in terms of in terms of how much of an impingement it is on our sort of existence, I think gross violation might be pushing it a bit that we can't watch football at three o'clock on a Saturday. I think that there are bigger problems in the world. Of course, there's bigger what, problems what, in the world. What, but it's the principle. What I, mean, I would say is that I think I, I, I kind of understand the, the three o'clock blackout on domestic football. I can understand that if you are a Burnley fan and it's raining in Burnley, as it often is, you, you think, if I can watch this on telly, I won't go to the game. And that might affect clubs attendance is probably quite high, quite high up in the leads that you, you'd get the case that for you know for I don't know Reading versus Wigan if a Reading fan can watch it on, on telly they might think nah, it's 30 quid to go to the stadium it's raining parking's really difficult I can't, can't really be bothered I can understand that I find it baffling and I didn't know until the Classico issue, issue sort of raised itself I didn't know that it applied to foreign football as well that to me is nonsensical, but is, is the best parallel not the Sunday, the Sunday trading laws? Is that even when I was growing up, and I am famously only ten, but even when I was growing up, you weren't allowed to have a shop open on on a, on a Sunday, and I remember them changing that, and it being very exciting when when HMV in Leeds was open from eleven o'clock on a Sunday, and that being pretty much the best thing that happened in Leeds in nineteen ninety five, and. And there was this sort of massive kind of there was a movement, a substantial movement of we shouldn't be doing this. This is change. This is bad. But it's not bad. It's the way the world has gone. It makes more sense to have shops open well, on a Sunday than it's very, it. Very, very difficult politically, just so that we understand how difficult it might be to change these things. I mean, the, the, it was one of the few times that Margaret Thatcher was defeated in her uh, period. She had to drop the uh, legislation. But it makes more sense to have shops open on a Sunday than it does on a Tuesday. Does that, everyone's at work on a Tuesday, although increasingly less so. Well, everyone, but, now that everyone's at work on a Sunday but because they're, they're having to run shops <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's a fair point yeah Tony Barrett has done a fantastic blog on the uh, on the site about um, the sort of growing threat to grassroots football um, across the country and Saturday afternoon is also when a lot of people a lot of volunteers are involved in um um, in grassroots football, whether it's you know helping out with a with a local kids team or or, or, or their own their own team, or whether it's you know uh, one thing or another supporting their non league team, I think that is extremely important, and I, I, I don't necessarily think it, it, um, it means that 
we should all be prevented from watching Barcelona Real Madrid on on Saturday. But I, I think that is one thing which, in addition to the lower division attendances, is definitely worth uh, worth saving. If if every if every game was live every Saturday, if there was sort of unlimited access to um, to, to football on TV at three o'clock, I, I think the, the number of people volunteering and the number of people playing football, you know, two o'clock, three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon would be even less and although we can say that's not important um, I think it is you, Ollie you, just so you know right. Gab is really angry <laughs> no, I, just, I, 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 I don't doubt that he's angry it's very parochial I, um uh, concern of mine and of and of Tony's, but I think it's a very important one. It's, it's, it's just that inanity, right? When I, I imagine back when like they introduced breakfast television in this country, because remember how like you couldn't watch any TV in the morning because there was this is probably when when you were younger. This is way before Rory's looking at me like what there wasn't twenty four hour television. Yeah, because people said, oh well, if we tr- if we if we allow uh, TV channels to transmit in the morning, then nobody's ever going to leave the house. They're just going to sit there and watch TV all day, and it's the same argument. Oh look, you know I, I, I think that's true. In some cases, <laughs> exactly. No, that's 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 the Tony. I've read Tony's piece. I'm sure it is brilliant. But but that's the argument, right? I can watch football TV at three, so I'm not going to take my kids down to the park because you know what? I'd rather watch Burnley on television than that. That's that's more than my love for my children. And I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. The real world doesn't work that way. And the other thing is this whole thing about attendances and fans and traveling fans. What about all those fans? You mentioned Burnley before. Let's keep picking on Burnley because it sounds northern. Um, what about all those Burnley fans who either cannot afford to go watch Burnley or the ones who are disabled or the ones who are too old or too young or have other responsibilities or have to work on Sunday because of Danny's Sunday trading laws? What about all those people? And as a result, and even the best case scenario, they could watch Burnley once every two weeks when they play at home. But Manchester United are on the box all the time, every single week, right? So they become Manchester United fans instead of Burnley fans. I think it's really unfortunate that Gab doesn't have any strong opinions on this. I think it'd be really nice if it was a subject he really engaged with. Did this this completely does my head? Yeah, but this, you... this is your argument about the Euros, isn't it? That that we have this inherent bias towards match-going fans who are a tiny minority of of the yeah. supporter base. Especially of any towards club. away match-going fans, especially yeah. the ones who can afford to do it. It's, it's it's your old class system. It's all elitist, but whatever. All right, hey, look, guess guess what? I got the last word. So uh, this house agrees that we should eliminate the uh, Saturday blackout rule and put Ollie Kane stocks. All right, time now for some quick hits. Rory, you're the most aesthetically inclined one here. We witnessed two tremendous goals, neither, unfortunately, by a Uruguayan or South American, but they were still pretty nice. Pepe Cisse against Southampton and Dimitar Berbatov against Stoke. Um, which impressed you more and why? So this weekend I had to go on Saturday on what something called a pedibus, which is a bike bus around Tower Bridge, which was perhaps the most embarrassing thing I've ever, I've ever had to do. It was a, a domestic thing that I had to do for my girlfriend. Um, so is I this the one where like the poor guy cycles? And you yeah. sit in the back. That's the well, no, no, no. That's a rickshaw. This is like a big rickshaw. Anyway, that's not important, Gab. So I haven't seen Berbatov's goal. I've seen Sisse's goal, but I think the better goal than Sisse's goal is Aruna Kone's second for Wigan. Because the ball from Jean Bosseur was superb. Manchester United pound QPR, maintaining their lead at the top of the Premier League. But the game will be remembered for three things: uh, Raphael's tremendous strike, Giggs's performance and delightful chip, and Robin van Persie falling into the camera pit. Ollie, you're the biggest star in this podcast, so you get to choose which of the above you wish to talk about uh, I, I think Danny might disagree with that but um, it's um, I mean the, the, the Raphael goal was fantastic I mean, it, was, it was a beautifully controlled first time shot uh, 
all about power but I, I mean I, I could talk about gigs all day um, 30 seconds is a bit of a challenge but I mean that was his 1001st senior appearance in his career I mean no yeah, no, he's not as good as he was at his peak but have you ever seen a player age as gracefully as gigs I can only think of two which are um, uh, Maldini and Baresi in recent years he, he's fantastic he's phenomenal and I, I, I know he doesn't play all that often but he, he has this incredible ability to come out of uh, you know, dust himself down once every two or three weeks and just produce a sublime performance. Uh, in fact, a very sweet tweet from Matt Dickinson who talked about and he took one of his offspring to, uh, to the game so they could say that they saw Ryan Giggs in the flesh, which I thought was quite sweet. You should all follow Dickinson on Twitter if you don't already. Everton followed Norwich 2-1, but that shouldn't really put a damner on what has been a very good season. Still, as our boss Tony Evans writes today, uh, you rather feel Everton will forever be caught in a holding pattern simply because of the financial mistakes of the past and perhaps of the geographic and socioeconomic reality of their present. Danny, does this mean that they'll really never be able to compete again? There are two words that say that's not true. They are Manchester and City. Obviously, anybody at any moment could come along by Everton and change their position overnight. Um, it's also not true, not true over the long term. Look at what's happened at Spurs, where a team has been parlayed from being a middle-ranking uh, team. In uh, you know, I once remember writing about it, saying they were stuck in the middle, and somebody writing to me saying, uh, "You is a rubbish columnist." Uh, <laughs> But it turned out to be, as a prediction, it wasn't very good anyway because uh, now they're pressing, uh, they're in the top four in terms of class. Uh, they're pressing on uh, on Chelsea already, having passed Arsenal. Um, so that is a team that's managed to do that with less money. So I don't think Everton are stuck. Arsenal defeat Villa 2-1 and Wenger talked it up as some kind of turning point after the Champions League debacle against Bayern. Um, Rory, was it? Or is it just kind of papering over the cracks? Th- this happens every single time Arsenal have a setback. They win their next game and Wenger then says well you know this is actually what we are meant to be doing we, are, we have turns it on here. and although he's not actually that French he's more German in his accent I'm still yes. working on that um, Arsenal are an okay to dud side with okay to dud players if they want to be more than that if they want to be challenging for the title if they want to be challenging for the Champions League it's going to cost them 100 million quid at least mm. they need to upgrade in, in six or seven different positions and the problem is that Wenger seems to be happy to kind of maintain this this decentish, quite good kind of stance, and I, I, ju- I just think that w- what Arsenal need is to get thumped a couple of times, just it'll wake them up. Paul Elliott, the tireless campaigner for Kick It Out and other anti-racist campaigns, uh, resigned his post at the FA after someone leaked a text message he sent in which he calls Richard Rufus, who is also black, the N-word. Ollie, was there really no alternative here, um, and should we be treating private text messages between two people as something public that we can put in any old newspaper? Mm, um, I, I know Paul Elliott. I, I like him, and I, I, I would agree he has been a fantastic campaigner for anti-racism causes and and many other things in, in terms of football administration. I, I think it is deeply sad. I don't quite know the circumstances um, in, in which he sent it. I have been in touch with him, but um, I'm sure it's something he w- will look back on as as. A, a terrible error of judgment. I don't think he had to go at all, personally, and I think mm. somebody's a scumbag here for basically taking what's a private text message between two people, and I think all of us as white people really shouldn't weigh in on what the N-word might mean to two black people who talk to each other. Romelu Lukaku is now up to 12 goals after in the league after scoring twice for West Brom against Sunderland. Danny, should Chelsea have kept him around, and um, should he be back at Stamford Bridge next season or seek out in a different asylum? Look, it was right to send him out on loan 
alone because at the time they did, he hadn't scored any goals. And so obviously he never played the poor guy. That's exactly what I'm saying. Oh. So obviously it was a good idea to uh, allow him to do that. But Chelsea's problem is not they can't score goals. Uh, they're, they're the best goal scoring side in the uh, Premier League, both in terms of goals per game and just in terms of their long term ranking. Their problem is they can't keep the goals out. Uh, that's their problem. Uh, so really, uh, Chelsea, uh, yes, Chelsea have got a very eccentric way of purchasing a thousand midfielders and not having enough strikers. That is a bit odd. And lo- clearly, Lukaku is very talented. Chelsea can have him back. Um, that's where they should look for a solution in the long term to their striking problem. But should they have let him go on loan? Yes. Uh, is that really the problem for Chelsea this season? Lack of goals? No. Uh, Gab, one for you. Mario Balotelli came face to face with his old fans in the Milan derby this week, a game I know you're always neutral about. Uh, how did it work out for him? It worked out tremendously well early on in the sense that I mean, I'm, we're absolutely fantastic against an inter team who are tired and or everybody's injured. Um, could have scored four or five goals in, in the first half, but Samir Handanovic was out of this world. And in fact, um, please, answers on postcard as to who's the best, better goalkeeper anywhere in the universe right now. Uh, then in the second half... Um, Milan just really started to struggle and Inter, and Inter sneak back. They, uh, they, they got an equalizer 1-1. Probably not a fair result. Milan probably deserved it more. As Sir Balotelli, it was interesting because the Inter fans obviously absolutely hate him because of what he did when he, um, when he took off his jersey and threw it to the ground famously. Um, they had a rule, let's all abuse Mario Balotelli, but let's avoid certain words referring to race or uh, ethnicity. Uh, that worked pretty well for about uh, an hour, and then they couldn't take it anymore. And uh, some people crossed the line, and, and there will be consequences again. That's all we got time for this week. It's been fun, and it's been real, and we've had Danny Finkelstein and Ollie Kay uh, and Rory. That was good, right? Such high-profile guests this week. Fantastic. There you go. An honor to be with them. Thanks to all of them. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or as so many of you do every single week, you can email us at gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Of course, you can also go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find news, you'll find views, you'll find web chats, blogs, analysis, and from next season, you'll also find uh, goals. Uh, we, we, we've actually purchased the Premier League rights for goal highlights. I am terribly excited for that. Um, Till next time. Bye-bye. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.